0: I do not believe in a fate that falls on men however they act, but I do believe in a fate that falls on them unless they act. G.K. Chesterton
1: You're listening to the Think Twice TV podcast. Hear true life stories, portable insight, and engaging messages. On this show, we'll think twice about life, faith, and just what could be possible when the two are combined broadcasting from the beautiful great lake state of pure michigan here's your host dan henderson hey
0: welcome to the show thank you so much for listening i started out this podcast with a 12 episode plan however as our audience has grown we decided to continue the podcast Today we're up to episode 24. This will complete the second season of our podcast. We plan on making more episodes. However, we're going to have a short break in postings as we prepare for some new segments for you. Today's episode is entitled Toes in the Water. And this is for all those people out there who are, metaphorically speaking, you've seen the ocean, you've tested the water with your toes, and you're almost ready to begin your walk into the great blue waters. Uh, You know, for me, it started with you know, reading the Bible, actually exploring the Bible for myself uh, firsthand. I wanted to read it and see what it was about. I was very, very amazed and impressed with the words of Jesus. And eventually you come to the point where you either want to go deeper or you just go back to where you came from and back to that old life. For me, the choice was easy. I knew I needed something more out of life and I I wanted something more. Now we're going to get right into our first story. The story is from Brianna and you can find her story at foreverchanged.us. Let's listen in now.
2: I was raised with just a sense of morality. I knew what was right, I knew what was wrong. I had parents that instilled those things in me. And, I mean, the word does say that we're all without excuse. We all have a, a knowledge of God. We have a sense of what's right and what's wrong. And so I knew God, I knew the story of Jesus and but they were it was sort of in this cartoony sort of a way. You know, the way that you teach Bible stories as a kid and the reality wasn't there, but the knowledge was. All of high school was just marked with lots of, of just sin and, and, you know, doing the wrong thing, drinking, just doing all those peer pressure situations, um, being promiscuous at a, at a young age and, and having, it caused so much damage at, in those earlier years. You know, it was really when the, the first divergence kind of came from that path of, being that church-going child to then this rebellious adolescence. And it was sort of, that's where that fork kind of was created. I was taken advantage of in a lot of different ways. It made me feel so bad about myself, and it started to create this idea that the only way to be you know, loved or accepted or to be made to feel attractive was with my body or with the things that I would do, you know, to to go to parties and drink and be cool and be liked and um, that whole idea of wanting to be accepted and wanting to be attractive to other people, just friends and guys and and all this stuff, it started then and, you know, in hindsight, we we all are looking to be accepted, to feel loved and, and, Without Christ, we just look for it in all these different places, and it's going to look different for everyone. But for me, it was, you know, in in partying and in substance abuse and in um, unhealthy relationships. I went to college, you know, I started, um, you know, bartending and working in a restaurant and working in a bar. That's just such a nocturnal lifestyle to begin with. There's so many people that I associated with that, you know, you just worked all night and then you went out and drank your tips away, and then you came back the next day and did it all over again, and. It caused me to then um, withdraw before getting my bachelor's, and I just, I just dove headfirst into this lifestyle, much to the the grief of my of my mother and, and my parents. I ended up in a two and a half year relationship that I had with someone who was very heavily addicted to drugs, and so um, I just cleaved to that and, and and he had made me feel, you know, accepted in all of the worldly ways. And I wouldn't say no to anything. I was just a yes person because again, it was just all about pleasing man and pleasing other people and doing anything to feel like I was making someone else happy and that they loved me for it. And so I became really highly addicted to, um, you know, painkillers. There was a lot lot of drug use, a lot of, um, all these things um, were, were so destructive, you know, so everything seemed hopeless you know going through all of that i felt like i had you know we got we got engaged and i felt like i was kind of um past the point of any return I, i'd lost control over my life i didn't and i didn't recognize my life i didn't know how i got there and anyone that's dealt with any sort of addiction it's it's really scary you know it's it controls your whole life and the lord showed so much grace he would give me these little moments these little windows of of clarity of where i'd look around at my life and i'd say how did I get here? And and I'd have a, a sense he was there, and that there was something from the outside of me, kind of looking in and and shining the spotlight on me. And I'd crawl back into the shadows and not really want to to have it that light shining on me. But there was clarity, and there was a, a knowing that this this is just bad. And then one day, life was so chaotic. I had finally um, gotten sober. You know, for at least a lot of these major addictions had been dealt with again by the grace of god it was not in my own strength in hindsight i know that completely now but the lord had brought a very good friend of mine from my childhood she came back into my life and just looked at me and just said straight to my face she's like what the heck are you doing and i had no answer for her and so we we got to talking more and just the way that the lord used this person you know i just started to kind of wake up and i remember being in this apartment and all of a sudden the sun just sh- started shining through the window and I just started thinking, I need to end this relationship. This is it, like this is over. I can't do this anymore, you know? And, and I did, I, I, I told him and it was just a grace of God that I could move on from there, but I still was empty. There was still, I was still unfulfilled. You know, there was still all of those old things and that still that desire to seek fulfillment in all of these unhealthy ways. And my mom, you know, this whole time being a, a church-going woman, she just was always asking me to go to church, go to church. And I went to this one church. My mom was attending for a while, and there was a gentleman there um, that I'm now married to. But he was there, and I thought, oh, there's this really cute guy at the church. Maybe I'll keep going now. And he also saw this young lady walk into church, and so he thought, well, look, there's someone my age, and... and I guess he thought I was attractive, and so he asked me to go to lunch, and so we went, and it was the worst possible. It was the worst lunch ever. I had the worst mouth. I cursed like an absolute sailor. It was—it's just so disgusting the things that would come out of my mouth. Every other word was the F word. I smoked like a chimney. I was just this. Ugh, <laughs> just this oh, I, I had no identity. I thought I was so cool. Like all I talked about the whole time was how I was going to backpack through Europe and. Be this world traveler and I was so hip and it was, it was repulsive to him and he, he knew the Lord and so he also was going through his own stuff and so he knew that this ship was sinking from the very beginning so he just dropped me off at the train and, and we didn't exchange numbers or anything and a whole year went by until we came to, to meet again. Later that year, a lot of humbling, a lot of dead ends were walked down that year and um, I went to church with my mother again. For some reason that day was just different and they you know asked the congregation that day like if you want to give your life to christ pray with us and we worshiped and i and i wanted it and i said it and i f- again it was sort of that that last ditch effort of like i don't know what's gonna fix me but this sounds like it could and i just want it i need fixing um so i said it and, I, and nothing happened you know the nothing grandiose you know I just I went home my mom dropped me off and I just remember walking into my apartment I just lived by myself in this in this little studio and I just remember for some reason I wanted to read the Bible I just I knew I had a Bible somewhere this little tiny pocket Bible and I don't even know what scripture I turned to all of a sudden I just started I broke into hysterical tears just so sad and and again just hopeless just feel like Like all of the tears, all of the remorse, all of the guilt, all of the destruction that had happened up until that point, like every emotion that I could ever feel about it just came pouring out and I couldn't stop crying. And then I just literally was like, I'm some type of crazy person, like this is ridiculous. I'm like, maybe I just need to eat something. And I just went into the kitchen and I started trying to make myself something to eat. And then in that, in the preaching earlier that morning, um, it was something along the lines of, you know, that the joy of the Lord, you know, just comes like a flood sometimes. And so as I'm eating, all of a sudden, I just started choking on my food. I just realized like I was filled with so much joy. The entire room just was filled with the presence of the Lord. What I know now undoubtedly to be the Holy Spirit just God came in like a flood and there was, from this hysterical, sorrowful mourning, tears of utter sadness and hopelessness, to hysterically laughing, so happy that I'm choking on my food to where I literally said out loud, I'm like, you didn't even wait for me to finish chewing. Like, I am choking on my food with just exuberance. I can't describe the feeling of all I knew was that it was just that, that summing up of, I was lost, and then I was found, and God is real, and I got on the phone, and I took my pack of cigarettes, and I went out on my fire escape, and I called my mother, and I said, Jesus is real, and I really love him. It was truly earth-shattering, and, and everything was different. The path that the Lord has led me down since that day, you know, it didn't change overnight. I didn't go from, you know, to dressing all in white and being this perfect, you know, church-going Christian girl and prim and proper. It was a, it was a process because he just takes you dirty and he just, he cleans you up. That's just that path that you walk. Then it's like people think when you become a Christian, all of a sudden you stop sinning and your life is perfect. And, you know, then you're able to go around and, and tell people how to live theirs. And it's not that at all. It's you take all that sin and all that dirt and all that junk and you give it to Jesus and, and you just ask him to take it from you and slowly but surely he peels off all that dirt, all that filth that you packed on, you spent your life covering yourself with and he just washes it away. And I finally realized that my body and intimacy and things like that were things that weren't just to be given away, that, that God had saw purity in a way that the world does not see purity. He values it and and he gives it back to you I figured there was some things God would accept and that he could you know he forgave some sins but there was other sins that he was real strict with and real firm on and that they were things that I had to hide from him and um, but he took those two and he really does wash us clean I say that for just really for women that feeling like there's no coming back from a certain lifestyle or um, that you've gone too far and just giving yourself away to to just men or to just the world or whatever it is. And the truth is, is that he can restore that feeling of really being innocent and pure before him.
1: You're listening to the Think Twice TV podcast. Find original videos, true life stories, and content to help you grow your faith at thinktwicetv.com.
3: I ended up going uh, to school at Cortland, New York. Most of my time in Cortland was spent uh, chasing girls, drinking a lot of beer, uh, partying. My entire college education was pretty much wasted on uh, girls and, and alcohol and had no clue that I was doing anything wrong. I was under the belief that, you know, if uh, as long as you do, didn't do anything intentional to hurt anybody, it was okay. That was, that was the relationship I had with God. You know, I, I wasn't hurting anybody on purpose. I was fine. Ended up moving down to Louisiana. While I was down there, I uh, continued to drink heavily. Uh, I, I met a, a young girl down there. I was uh, 30 years old at the time. She was uh, about 20. So we went to the doctor's office and she starts crying. I'm going, why are you crying? And she goes, I don't want to get an abortion. And I go, who said anything about her abortion? And when we found out where well, she was pregnant, we got married, and uh, and then three weeks later, she lost the baby. She had a miscarriage. You know, we ended up staying together and for a while. It, uh, I, but I was going offshore on these jobs for like two weeks off, and I'd come back in, and you know everything was fine except one time I got off early, and I came back and I went in the house and bed was made no one was in it you know went back to the shop and uh, did you know clean up some tools I came back and there's Sophie she's in the house and I walk in the bedroom and the beds all messed up like she was sleeping in it. and I'm like so uh, what's going on she goes nothing nothing I said how come the beds all messed up she goes oh I just got up I go oh really that's funny because I was here 40 minutes ago and the bed was made and you weren't in it and she started crying and she told me she had was seen this other guy and she told me she'd stop but she didn't and we got divorced I moved up to Alaska came back and eventually I ended up back in New York to go to chiropractic college shortly after I graduated from chiropractic college I started dating uh, a young woman and we dated literally for 20 years one day, one of my patients, who was a, a deacon at a, at a Christian church, gave me tickets to go see a play, Who Is This Man? And while I was watching this play, I'm sitting there, and I, I just started asking myself, what have I been doing? Because it was the birth, and all the way up to the crucifixion of Jesus. And when we watched him get crucified, I just, I was convicted. I was like, what have I been doing? I walked out of there with Joey, Uh, we were looking at each other, we were both touched, in fact, I knew that I had to change my life, I knew something had to change. When I first became a Christian, I tried to change my 42 years of not being with the Lord. Right now I was 59 years old, uh, in 42 minutes, and I, I was miserable and I, I was really struggling with trying to stop doing everything that was bad. And that, that was just about everything I did, you know, so it was, it was a total impossible feat that something I couldn't do. And I, I struggled with that for about a year, and during that time, my mom got very sick. I would go visit her uh, after my uh, office hours, and one night, just three days before my birthday, she goes, Fred? in two days, I'm going to see your father. And my father had died 10 years prior to that. And I said, I know you, you, know, you missed dad and, and, and you've missed him for 10 years. And uh, I know how happy you're gonna to be to see him again. And you're gonna be with your number one man. And then my mom did something that still gives me goosebumps to this day. She pointed up at the cross and said, no, Fred, Dad's not my number one man, Jesus is my number one man. And you put Jesus first and Jesus last, and he'll take care of everything in between. And two days later, my mom passed away. I wasn't upset, I was happy, because I knew that I saw her faith. You know, I understood what it meant to really love Jesus, to put him first above all things. And as a result, I understood that now in order for me to change I just had to surrender to him and he would change me. Was dating Joey, I changed and I started to change and I knew that I couldn't stay in this physical relationship with her and it almost seemed like every day that I was with her it was getting harder to do what was wrong and easier to do what was right because uh, as a result of what he was doing in me, I knew that I had to either one, stop seeing her completely, or ask her to marry me. And both those decisions were frightening to me. I, 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 I couldn't believe that I could, you know, spend the rest of my life without her. So I, I asked her, I asked her to marry me. And she, you know, gave me her standard answer, which was uh, in May. May the day never come, which was a joke we always had about us getting married. And uh, we stopped seeing each other. You know, it felt like a divorce for me. And I know I wouldn't have been able uh, to get through it uh, without the Lord, because uh, in the past, when I had a relationship with with a, a young lady and she stopped seeing me, I was a mess. It actually started me on my drinking. And this time, I I had strength that I I had no idea where it came from. I was at peace with the fact that I did what I needed to do to glorify the Lord. My my favorite verse in the Bible is Matthew 14, verse 29. It's not really the verse, it's what happened during the verse. It's when the apostles saw Jesus walking on water, and they were petrified. As he got closer, and he said, don't be afraid, it's me. uh, Peter asked uh, if he could come uh, and and walk to him. And Jesus said, come. And Peter got down out of the boat and just started walking on the water, putting his trust in God and Jesus. And uh, he was doing great. And all of a sudden he took his eyes off Jesus. And he looked around at the wind and the storm and the rain and the rough waters and he sunk. And uh, I still do that, I, 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 I can be Peter, uh, I'm uh, pretty, pretty good at being Peter. And, but every time I, I look down at the water, there's always a hand reaching down to me to pull me back up, and uh, I, uh, I thank God, I thank everything he's done for me, he gets me through times that I never thought I'd be able to get through. You know, literally, I now have a bagel shop across from my house. And uh, I started bringing the, the Bible in there and started reading the Bible. And uh, as a result, he's he's literally had people come up and start talking to me. If my friends from high school knew I was doing this, they would be like, You? Seriously? Freddie Keysacker? Talking to people about the Bible? He's totally changed me. Once, once you're in his hand, he's not letting you go. You're, you're, you're his.
4: Anyone can count the seeds in an apple, but only God can count the number of apples in a seed. It's time for the absolute basics of the Christian faith from seedbed.com. So let's take a bite. The absolute basics of the Christian faith. What are the church's sacraments? As we said in the last talk, the church is Christ's body. He's the head of the church that rules over the diverse community of true believers. The church as a whole is Christ's body in the world. But what does it mean to be part of the church? In other words, what does it mean to be a Christian? Well, the whole point of being a Christian is to become like Jesus. As we talked about in the second chapter, humans were created in the image of God. That means that we resemble God, but also that we represent him. And the way that we do this now is to learn to imitate Jesus. By imitating Jesus, The perfect picture of what God looks like, the image of God, is restored in us. But there's a twist. Imitation sometimes sounds like we're really trying to copy Jesus in a slavish way, as if Jesus were the original and we're just a photocopy. But God's plan for imitation is more creative than that. Because we're all different, God's way of imitation is for each person to learn how to become like Jesus in our own unique way. To paraphrase Dallas Willard's book, The Divine Conspiracy, Discipleship is becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. We can think about it a little bit like this. There's this character named James Bond who's been played by all these different actors. James Bond has been played by Sean Connery and George Lazenby and Roger Moore and Timothy Dalton, Pierce Brosnan and Daniel Craig. And each actor had a different approach to the role. All these guys were James Bond, but each in their own way. It's also a bit like an assignment given by an art teacher. The art teacher might say, paint a landscape, and each of the students can faithfully do the assignment, but they'll do it in their own way. Some will paint the mountains, some will paint the woods, some will paint the ocean. And they'll use different mediums as well, watercolor or oil paints or acrylics. There are many ways of completing the assignment faithfully. Imitating Christ is like this. It isn't an act of copying every specific detail of the person of Jesus. It's a creative act that will look different for each of us because God has created us differently. But there are some essential things that we need to bear in mind to faithfully do the assignment Jesus has given us. In this chapter, we're going to discuss two of these essential parts of the assignment. Sacrament means a sacred or special action, and there are two special actions in the life of the church that point to key moments in the life and ministry of Jesus. When we participate in these sacraments, we're learning to imitate Jesus and become part of Jesus' story. At the very beginning of his ministry, Jesus goes down to the River Jordan and is baptized by his cousin John. The Spirit descends and the Father declares his approval. But this baptism wasn't just for Jesus, it was for everyone who wanted to follow him. After his resurrection, Jesus commands his followers to go to all the nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. At the very end of his ministry, Jesus gathers his core group of followers and celebrates one last supper with them. He breaks bread and shares wine around and then compares the bread and wine to his body and blood. Then Jesus tells his disciples to break bread and drink wine together in remembrance of him whenever they gather. So Jesus practices these things and then he commands them thus. us. So what do these sacraments mean though in the life of the church? Baptism is initiation into the body of Christ. Initiation basically means joining. Through baptism, God graciously lets us join the household of believers. It's a one-time thing that we do as we enter the church. Communion, though, isn't just a one-time thing. It's something we should do as often as we can in the life of the church. It's a celebration that Christians always and everywhere have done regularly, as Jesus taught us. But there's something more. As Christians, we're trying to imitate Jesus, and so we do the things He does and the things He asks us. Like someone trying to play James Bond, we're learning to play the part in our own unique way. In baptism and communion, we're reenacting key parts of Jesus' life, but we're also participating in Jesus' death and resurrection. In communion, we participate in Christ's death, his broken body and shed blood, and look forward to his return. In baptism, we're buried with Christ under the waters and then raised again. And this is what Jesus calls us to to imitate him, to follow him, even to the cross. The Absolute Basics of the Christian Faith from seedbed.com.
0: I want to thank Seedbed.com. Seedbed has allowed us to use their Absolute Basics of the Christian Faith series. You can find them online at Seedbed.com slash confirmation. Over the audio, you only get half the picture, though. Uh, So if you go to Seedbed.com, you can actually see these videos. Uh, What they do is really cool. They have an open book format where they have an artist rendering what is being told over the audio. It's really cool art, and it's very easy teaching. Great for teenagers, young adults, or people that just want to know more. About the Christian faith. We also have a link in our show notes.
4: It's time for a bottle of Bill's Wisdom, a short single serving message of wisdom from our friend, Pastor Bill Leach.
5: You know, there's a fabulous contrast in in this psalm. Verse 4 announces he determines the number of the stars and calls each by name you know we're told that there are billions of those things billions of stars gigantic suns you know our our sun our star is relatively little in the scheme of things and but if you hollowed it out you could put a thousand earths inside of our of our sun i'm told that there is one star that they have measured how in the world they do that i couldn't tell you but they measured one star and they say that it is big enough that you can put our whole our universe our sun the earth our moon, the other planets, you know, Saturn and Venus, and I almost said Pluto, but you know, it uh, doesn't count anymore. But you could put all of that in its orbit, in its orbit, inside of one star and have thousands of miles of crust to, to cover it up. You know, the Bible says that the stars are God's handiwork, it's sort of his hobby expression. You know, can't you see God taking that star like a little boy with a marble and shooting it out into space? He determines the number stars, calls each by name. Billions of them. He, God's got a proper or pet name. A, he's got a name for every star. You know, I'm, I'm a lot like Irma Bombeck, who said that she was always afraid she was going to introduce a group of people to someone and come to her mother and forget who, who she was, forget her name. I'm told that you know if we're relatively uh, literate, we maybe grasp about 60,000 words, and yet God has billions of, of names just for stars. Perhaps nothing creates a greater sense of wonder than going out on a clear night and looking up into the star-lit sky. And yet this great God who made the stars, in verse three it says he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. There's an old song we used to sing, we've got a great big wonderful God. A great big wonderful God. He's strong enough to rule this mighty universe, but he's small enough to live inside my heart. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God, the righteousness of God, the, the rule of God, the authority of God. If we seek God first, then all the other stuff we've taken care of, our God, can do exceeding abundantly he is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask think about or imagine to him to him be glory in the church and in our lives
0: author philip schaff sums it up quite well in this paragraph jesus of nazareth without money weapons he conquered more millions than alexander the great caesar muhammad napoleon without science and learning he shed more light on the things human and divine than all philosophers and scholars combined without the eloquence of school he spoke such words of life as were never spoken before or since he produced effects which lie beyond the reach of orator or poet without writing a single line he set more pens in motion and furnished themes for more sermons orations discussions learned volumes works of art songs of praise than the whole army of great men of ancient and modern times. Jesus really is amazing. He changed the world for the better, teaching us to love our brother and to come to God with a sincere and holy heart. He rebuked the self-righteous, he elevated the poor and the needy, and he made a way for the average man to touch the face of God. Pastor Leach, who has been very gracious to allow us to use his sermons in our segment A Bottle of Bill's Wisdom. He painted a picture by saying that it's kind of like a little boy playing in a mud puddle and his dad's saying come on I want to take you to the ocean. However the toddler's never been to the ocean. He doesn't know anything about the ocean but he's content to stay in that mud puddle and splash around. He doesn't want to leave. He doesn't want to be torn away from what he knows. But when he finally does allow himself to be moved away to the ocean he experiences sights and sounds that he never thought were possible. And that truly is what it means to repent and believe in Jesus. Hey, thanks so much for listening today. Like I said, we're going to have a short break while we prepare season three of the Think Twice TV podcast. While we are in between episodes, why don't you head back and check out some of the previous episodes. My own personal testimony of how I came to faith is on episode eight. My mentor and father's testimony and story of faith is on episode 17. A couple of others that are um, my favorites are The Matters of the Heart, Episode 11. Another cool one is Episode 9, my friend Travis. He was an absolute wild man, out of control, on drugs, so God saved his life and saved his family. That's Episode 9, Shattering Substance Abuse. Would you do us a big favor and share this podcast with someone? Um, go online to our Facebook page at M Messengers. Share the page with someone, give us a comment, write us an email at MediaMessengers at Yahoo.com goes directly to me and i can hear your thoughts and suggestions about the podcast follow us on twitter at m messengers we're also on instagram at media messengers thanks again for listening we will be back very soon with a lot more content god bless
1: this venture is sponsored by media messengers evangelistic association revealing the love and power of god through media www.mediamessengers.org if you like the show follow us on social media and please help us reach more people All our social links are in the show notes.